Good evening, and we welcome you into the first regular season edition of Meet Me at Musial. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdall, C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter. Alan, still out. Another baseball game. They're still playing. He does hope to be back in a regular rotation pretty soon. But until then, we've got uh, we've, we've run a, a nice run of guests, and this is no exception. We've got Carter Zier from... Um, uh, you'll know him from Cardinals Chat 18, and then his podcast is it. What is your podcast called? Is it Cardinals Chat? Just Cardinals Chat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I thought it was. So uh, you can check that out on iTunes or any of the other places that you get the podcast. Probably anywhere you're listening to this, you can probably listen to that as well. Uh, coming at you, Carter's joining me. We're we're here just a couple of hours now, really, after the Cardinals. Kick off 2022 in exactly the way we wanted to. I guess the only thing missing was an Albert Pujols home run. But Carter, when you look at what you saw today, I mean, temper the fact that it was against the Pirates, but this is the team we'd like to see. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you saw the the balance that this lineup can have when everyone is on. And, you know, yes, it was against the Pirates, but... You know, it's positive to see, you know, the patience from the bottom part of the order. You know, you've got speed at the bottom leading into on-base guy Dylan Carlson. And then that three-headed monster, the 2-3-4 hole, just everyone clicking tonight was just really great to see. And so it was a fun game. Fun start to the season, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know when you give Adam Wainwright a run, you feel pretty good. I mean, and that's yes. pretty remarkable to say for a guy that's 40-something years old now. Uh, 40 plus, I guess, if, if you will. Um, which is still young in my book, not so much probably in yours. Um, but uh, to, you know, to get that extra, that big home run by Tyler O'Neill. I mean, it was just like after that, you knew it was just, this was going to be party day. And there wasn't anything that was going to kind of ruin the ruin the mood or didn't look like there would be. Yeah, that home run from Tyler was much needed, especially after the first inning. You know, you get that run across with no outs and kind of felt like momentum was starting that that big inning was going to come right away, kind of similar to the Reds a couple seasons ago. And uh, having them only get that one run in the first inning, you know, with Nolan striking out and then Mm -hmm. uh, Albert after that and Pauly D or Yachty. So it just kind of felt like that inning should have been way bigger. And so you kind of got that uneasiness to start, you know, it was happy, you know, got that first run across to start the season in the first inning and threatened it. Everyone looked good, but it just felt like it should have been more. And so getting that two out home run from uh, Tyler O'Neill was definitely big to, you know, kind of have that separation because, you know, they are one, one hanging curveball away from tying the, 
game at any time when it's one nothing. So a little bit of insurance always helps. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the Pirates, and we know what the yeah. Cardinals have done against the Pirates. But there are people in that lineup that have done damage against the Cardinals as well um, in certain situations and at different times. So you can't just completely write it off. Um, it did feel like the <laughs> the Pirates were just proved to be like the most snake bit organization as before the for the game they give key brian hayes like the largest contract they've given in two decades and then within the first three batters he's out of the game um that just i mean if you're a pirates fan right then do you you throw your hands up and just say we're done already after that after three batters he's like honestly uh, this is that's not my season let's just move on yeah especially with outlook not looking good this year and you know one full healthy season of Cabrian Hayes to see what you have, especially after that, you know, contract ex- extension that he signed. It's just kind of like, okay, here we go again. Like it's just going to be another typical pirate season. And so I, I couldn't imagine being a pirates fan, honestly. It, it has to be ridiculously tough. I mean, you've got to be in it for the baseball and even that's kind of iffy sometimes, you know, I mean, because yeah. they've had, you know, what we saw today, I mean, what, two, three errors made by the, by the uh, pirates and yeah. Um, you know, key Brian Hayes is granted the, the play that first play at uh, Dylan Carlson's. Oh, wait, wait, was that Dylan Carlson's double? Yep. Um, win, win aided double. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't really have a whole lot of, of, of chance on that with the win, mm-hmm. but still it was, it was not necessarily a smoothly played game on their side of things on the flip side. Cardinals defense looks like the Cardinals defense. Um, good plays out of Arnado and, and Goldschmidt uh, out of Bader. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know that there was just that, you know, one outstanding play except maybe Yachty throwing out another base runner. Yeah. But overall this, I mean, it really did feel like this team picked up from where they left off in this in September. Yeah, it really did. It just felt like everything connected, you know, kind of had a little little shaky to start first batter of the game with uh, DeYoung's throw going a little bit up the line. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Goldie does Goldie things at first base and proves that he probably should have been the Platinum Gold Glove winner last year and not Arenado, but <laughs> definitely making, you know, great play after great play over there at first base and saves, you know, what would have been heartbreaking first error of the season to start off with the first batter. And that would have been extremely tough just because it was Paul DeYoung, right? I mean, yeah. and we've know how much DeYoung struggled over the last couple of years. He has, you know, the reports are, we, he had a good, very good spring, obviously. Reports are that, you know, he's kind of come with a different mindset and, and ability to kind of let things go instead of getting too worked up about it, which is probably helpful for a ball player. But I got to think that, you know, there's a little bit of pressure on him this season and to go and, you know, throw the first ball that he gets away would have, well, one, it would have fired up Twitter, but it would have also <laughs> probably given him a little bit of doubt. Maybe that, Hey, maybe things aren't as different as I thought they were. Yeah. And I think just plate appearance wise so far, just especially in that first at bat in the first inning, mm-hmm. you know, it goes down early in the count, but gets it full and then draws the walk. And I felt like just his approach today looked different than last year. I felt like he was, on pitches, he wasn't, you know, kind of flinching like he would in the past on sliders outside, not chasing the high pitches. Uh, typical Paul DeYoung game. I mean, he didn't didn't pick up a hit, but, you know, he drew that first walk and he put the ball in play every time, which is mm-hmm. honestly big. If you can get Paul DeYoung to just put the ball in play, you know, cut down on the strikeouts, the power and the hits are going to come. And so 
I mean, that's just a positive in my book with Paul DeYoung. We don't need him to be 35-40 home run guy. I mean, we'll take 35-40 <laughs> home run guy, but we don't need him to be that because we have other guys in the lineup who can be that. We just need him to, you know, stay on the ball, play solid defense at short, and, you know, drive the ball the other way. And that's something that I think that he's shown in the spring and, Honestly, just with this first game, you know, he might not have anything to show for it, but he put good at-bats together today, and I don't think he looked overmatched at all today. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not that he swung it at everything and hit, you know, got out of at-bats early. He, you're right. He battled through them. He he got through two strikes and um, and didn't, you know, last year that was almost automatic strikeout and, and not so much today. Um, again, we're talking about small samples. Of course, it's one game. Um, even when you factor in the, you know, 10, 15 games that they played in the spring, these are small samples, but they're encouraging samples, um, and and encouraging things to see, um, especially at a guy that struggled so much last year. Um, it's in general, what do you think about this lineup? I mean, we saw it a little bit in spring, uh, especially the last week. And we kind of knew that this is what opening day lineup was going to look like. Um, obviously it worked well today, but just in general, what did you think of, of how this lineup shakes out? Uh, I really like the lineup configuration, especially for today. I think Ali has shown that he's not going to, you know, go with norms. He's going to go with kind of the matchups and he's going to go with what he thinks is going to be best for the team, which mm-hmm. saying it like that seems pretty obvious, but sometimes you have people who are set in their ways and that is just kind of going to be how it is. And so just showing with, Carlson at the top, I think, is just perfect. I like Carlson at the top, especially against righties, uh, with Edmund not being the best as the switch hitting on the left-handed side. Uh, And he showed that with his home run being against a lefty hitting right-handed. I like Edmund at the bottom. And uh, I really like Yachty in the seven hole. I like that they have DeYoung in the six hole. I think any higher than seven for Yachty isn't where he should be. I think he's going to thrive towards the lower part with this speed after him. And so I just really like this lineup configuration with O'Neill in between Goldie and Arenado, those two being able to protect Tyler O'Neill and Tyler O'Neill being able to protect those two are going to be amazing this year. And so I really liked this opening day lineup and that's kind of hard. I'm not used to liking a Cardinal lineup. So (laughs) it's, it's kind of strange to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But one through nine makes sense. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, there, I think Derek Gould has said before that you can get a judge of how the offense is going well or going badly about how high Yadier Molina needs to bat. You know, mm-hmm. if Yadier Molina is hitting fifth, then your offense is probably struggling. Um, you know, batting him seventh is great. Absolutely. Um, because... If he gets in and if he does anything, that's great. But if he gets out, like the third out, like he did a couple of times, then you, you start an inning with Bader at Edmund and flip it over to Carlson who can, you know, you know, and you just bring in the damage there. Mm-hmm. It just, it really does feel like the, the lineup could really pivot there. And, you know, and if Melina does something great um, and if he doesn't, you know, it's Yachty. It doesn't make much difference. He's behind the plate and things of that nature. I think I'd probably like him there better than, Nice because it does allow for that rollover of the lineup. Um, you know, I think the only thing, this is probably what we're going to see at least for quite some time, but I think the only thing you could probably say 
and not right now, but maybe in the future, is if DeYoung hits like he did in spring or, you know, something close to that, maybe he slides up and Pujols Dickerson go back down to sixth. And it may be that Dickerson hits sixth on, on Saturday um, and DeYoung hits fifth too. I, I don't know if that matters. If I don't know if it'll matter when Pujols is in there versus when Corey Dickerson is or not. What I mean, do you think they'll shift it depending on the guys? I, I think they'll shift it depending on, yeah, I think if it's Dickerson, I do think DeYoung jumps, but I also think it matters who's pitching in the other, because I could see mm. if it is a left-hander, I could see them slotting Edmund at the top back in leadoff and putting Dylan Carlson in the five hole, mm. because yeah. I think that, you know, Edmund has shown that against left-handed hitting, he is one of our best hitters against left-handed hitting, so moving him up to one wouldn't be such a bad thing. And then you have Carlson, another switch hitter who could be there as protection for Arenado. So I think, you know, kind of depending on who we're facing against that Ollie will be able to shift the lineup in that way as well. So I do think that Pujols compared to Dickerson, they're going to inherently bat Pujols higher just because of his pedigree. And they're going to bat Dickerson a little lower. Not Nothing against Dickerson. I think he's going to have a great year, but that's just kind of how the eye test and everything they're going to do for those guys. But yeah, I definitely do think it's depends on who is going to be, you know, in the DH and who our nine are and even who, you know, the handedness and who's pitching for the other team as well. So let's talk about the return of Albert Pujols. Um, first of all, the, the pregame ceremonies with, you know, him and, and Wainwright and Yachty, <coughs> excuse me, were incredible. I thought the Cardinals did a, a fascinating job of really highlighting, you know, of course, Pujols and Molina, but still kind of, you know, honoring Wainwright in case this is the last one. I mean, no, Wainwright hasn't said that it is for sure, but there's got to be at least a 60-40 chance that it is. Um, you know, I thought what we saw, the videos and the, you know, the, you know, letting them be announced before the players and even letting Wainwright and Molina be out there instead of being in the bullpen like they normally would be. Um, I thought that was a, a really, really awesome way to, uh, to celebrate those guys. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent agree. It was honestly kind of emotional to watch that video and kind of just think about and remember that, you know, I feel like basically my entire life from what I can remember, you know, Yachty's been the catcher and Wayno's been a pitcher and Albert for the most part has been, you know, in the league. And so it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, next year, there's possibility that all three of them could be gone. And it's Mm -hmm. something that, you know, you never thought would happen, but you knew it was going to happen eventually. And so it was just kind of emotional to think, wow, these guys aren't going to be here next year. And I mean, they will be here, but in a different capacity. And so it's, it was just kind of emotional just going through and watching that video. And I really loved the ceremony that they did for him. And yeah, I, I agree with, trying to give Wayno his they're not necessarily saying like yeah you're gonna retire but just in case you do retire we want to make sure that we're also honoring you and everything that you've done for the organization you know I had somebody over watching the game with me today we started talking about retired numbers um of course they redid the wall out there in, in Bush Stadium to you know allow for you know each pad to be a, a certain person and I thought it looked really cool I like the way that it looks but there's obviously room to grow out there. Um, I know the Cardinals have typically had this policy that they wait for players to get inducted into the hall of fame before they retire their numbers. 
I, I, they're going to retire those numbers at the end of the year, right? I mean, oh, four yeah. and five for sure. I mean, and, and there's if I, yeah. If if Wayno retires as well, they're all going to be the same time retired. All three of those numbers have to be. I mean, especially just the fact that they had this, you know, ceremony for those three players mm-hmm. is indicative enough that it's going to happen. Yeah, and it's you know, Wainwright's an interesting one just because, again. Club history has been, let's see if you get in the Hall of Fame before we, you know, obviously they have the Cardinals Hall of Fame, which is four players, you know, that have been important to Cardinal history, but maybe didn't make the cut for for Cooperstown. You know, it's still an open question whether Adam Wainwright will get to Cooperstown, and it really feels like if he does, it's probably a, a players committee vote type of thing. Yeah. Um, but given, I mean, and of course, Ken Boyer's numbers retired out there that is he's not in the Hall of Fame. It just feels like, you know, when somebody plays, you know, 15 years, more than 15 years for your organization and means something like that, you're going to waive the rules a little bit. And if that's the case and, and put that number up on the wall. Yeah, 100% agree on that. It's It just seems like all signs are pointing towards their all their numbers are going to be retired. And, and Pujols, I mean, he did most of his damage with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he had a lot of milestones in Los Angeles as well, but I mean, he's still going to be, you know, Cardinals hall of fame, first ballot and number retired because when you think about Albert Pujols, you don't think of Albert Pujols, the angel or Albert Pujols, the Dodger for one season. You think about Albert Pujols, the Cardinal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that angel fans had, you know, some connection to Pujols, but you know, he was, not the Albert Pujols that we knew, the, the great Albert Pujols uh, out there. Obviously, he was still good, and obviously he, you know, brought a lot with them. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a good connection there, but it's not the same. I mean, it, it just isn't the same as, you know, what he what he meant to this organization and what he meant to this fan base. So, um, yeah, I, you know, look forward to that. Look forward to their statues out front. Um, you know, that may, that may take a little bit longer, but it should be, should be interesting to see. Um, the first, well, not the first, because I guess the first, first home game with a DH with fans in the ballpark or something. Um, I think it looks a little bit like what we expect to see here is what I have said is with the DH. I don't know how much the bench matters. Um, I mean, there'll be times and places for it, but you know, today nobody came off the bench. The Cardinals ran the same nine hitters out there the whole game, um, which, you know, granted opening day and it's, you know, it didn't get blown open until late, but still feels like to me, there's going to be fewer pinch hitting opportunities and fewer times where we're going to see, you know, multiple players get into this box score that didn't start. Yeah. I think that's where, we saw the demotion at the beginning of the year of your Juan Yepes and your Nolan Gorman because there isn't a path for them to play every day. And since there isn't the opportunity to at least get one at bat a game with the pinch hit of the starting pitcher, it just doesn't make sense. You want them to play every day. And so that's where I think the DH kind of hurts some young players getting their Mm -hmm. chance to come up and get those pinch hit opportunities because they're just really not going to be there unless you have giant platoon splits where you're dominant against lefties and very bad against righties. It is going to kind of be those nine are going to be the nine unless you need defensive replacements in a close game in 
the bottom of the ninth or the bottom of the eighth. And that's where I think you're going to see your guys like Edmundo Sosa come in or Lars Newbar possibly coming into the mm-hmm. outfield to play. That's where I think they're going to get their big chance and then kind of their spot starts giving people rest. And I think the DH helps in that as well to where, you know, we have that spot where if we want to get Goldie off of his feet at first base, we can put somebody in the field at first and Goldie can be the DH and he's getting his off day. Somebody else is getting a chance to play and uh, he's getting that rest and we can keep him healthy, you know, throughout the year. And so that's where I think the DH is going to help in the fact that you can still have those guys in all the time and have them play DH and get off their feet and kind of focus on hitting only during that game and not have to go back and forth, back and forth out into the field and then out into hitting. So that's where I think the DH is going to help. But I mean, yeah, the bench, you can kind of see uh, based on back when pitchers hit, you know, you had a five, sometimes even a six man bench. And here with the DH, we only have a four man bench. And so, Mm -hmm. and I think that's going to stay throughout the year. So that's kind of as you have your backup catcher, you have your backup outfielder, backup infielder, and then one extra hitter. And that's, that's basically it. So that's, kind of what you're going to see in a DH led baseball world. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And, you know, it does mean, I mean, it's good in some ways of the fact that, you know, if a Wainwright's going, you don't have to worry about pinch hitting for him. Although mm-hmm. it's Wainwright, you, you know, he'd rather, he'd rather hit in a game like today. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have had to worry about it, but you know, if a guy's, you know, if the other, if the other side, what's I've argued that the other side of that works too, if you're facing a, a Walker Bueller or something in a close game and you know, they don't have to pinch it for him or take him out. Then uh, that could be, it's a, it's a downside as well, but you know, we'll, I will come to get used to the DH, I guess, at least I'm never going to be one that's a big supporter of it, but you know, the Cardinal, if it, it's here, so the Cardinals need to use it. And I'm very interested to see how that, you know, how they do that, especially with Pujols and Dickerson. I mean, are you of the opinion that they're going to really do this the way they say they're going to do it, which is, you know, Pujols against lefties, Dickerson against righties? Or are we going to see them try to squeeze Pujols in a little bit more often than that? I think especially towards the beginning of the year, they're going to squeeze Pujols in more just to kind of see if he can produce against righties compared to just being platoon only against lefties. But I do think that as the season goes on, you're going to see Dickerson more against right-handers and Pujols more against left-handers. It'll kind of even out as we go. But obviously, you needed the sentimental factor of game one Pujols in the starting lineup. And I could see him out there a lot here at the beginning of the season and Dickerson getting more run possibly in the outfield than in DH. But I do think as the season goes on, you're going to see those splits a little bit more as you know, he is in his forties and don't want him playing every day, kind of get him off days as much as he can possibly, you know, every other or play you play two, Dickerson plays two things like that. If you're not going to go pure platoon, you against righties, you against lefties. So what did you think of, of Pujols today? I mean, Oh, for five to reach to twice on air. Um, hit a you know a ball or two into the outfield obviously he's not the pools we know and love but did he look functional i guess to you or is it does this did anything worry you about him being out there 
I think he looked functional. I mean, my biggest worry was that he was going to be the bat speed wouldn't be there and he would struggle against, you know, kind of the higher velocity fastballs and he would strike out a lot. And, you know, he didn't strike out at all today, which I thought was a positive sign. Um, He still has that intimidation factor of being Albert Pujols in a Cardinal uniform. So that will always help him. But I don't think there's anything that's overly worrying about Albert at this point. Uh, I think you shouldn't expect him to be 2011 Albert Pujols, that's for sure. But I don't see him being a a typical 40-year-old hitter in the major leagues. I think he'll be somewhere in between, whether that be, you know, multiple home run season or if it's going to be, you know, kind of like a league average hitter. I think anything we can get out of Albert Pujols is a positive for me. And as long as he's not striking out over five, five strikeouts every game. I think that he, you know, small sample size of today looked serviceable out there. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I didn't, I didn't have really any concerns either. It looked like I think it was that, that last one he hit, I thought was at least going to drop in. Um, he had a, and you're right. He didn't strike out. He didn't now he wasn't facing necessarily the hardest of heat, but true. It was a guy that he could have had some trouble with. Um, and, he looked pretty able to hold his own uh, again. It helps when the rest of the offense is clicking, obviously, but um, you know, I think he's, he's serviceable at least right now. Now, again, one day we'll see, but I think that was always the fear, right? When you bring him back, you're afraid you're going to have to kind of drag him to the finish line uh, Mm -hmm. of the season because they're not going to get rid of him. I mean, they're going to, he's going to be there the whole year long. And so you're afraid that, man, you know, it's going to be just kind of almost embarrassing. And, it's, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, he, obviously, he he had a decent year last year in in L.A. in the with the Dodgers, and he kind of gave you some encouragement as well. But um, it just he looks looks like he's going to be able to, to like I said, hold his own and be serviceable. And I think that's all you can ask for right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we just can't if the Cardinals have to rely on Albert Pujols' bat as the majority of their offense, then it's going to be a rough year. So yeah, yeah. I mean take Albert Pujols for what his bat is right now. And I think that is a welcome addition to this club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's turn a little bit. We make, well, I guess before we leave the offense, we should talk really about Tyler O'Neill because he was Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado that, well, that top four, right? It always constantly on base and somewhat because, for some reason, Pittsburgh wasn't going to pitch to, to uh, <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt. Um, always on base, O'Neill with the you know five RBI. Um, Arenado gets the home run late. Uh, this was just, I mean, like we said, it just to watch them click like that, um, and to have good at bats. I mean, like I said, Goldschmidt, you know, he had obviously had a great spring, and you worry a little bit about can you carry that forward? But you know, he wasn't up there trying to prove that he could hit 500 like he did in the spring. He, he didn't take, you know, he took the pitches he needed to and, and trusted that O'Neill and Arenado would, would do the damage if they didn't give it to him. I, you can't argue with that approach. Yeah. I mean, it works perfectly. And that's why I like Goldie in the two hole. I and mean, he's going to take what's given to him. If they're going to walk him four times in a game, he's going to take the four walks. He's not prideful. He's, he just puts his head down and does his job. That's what Paul Goldschmidt is. And, you know, four walks, all good at bats, too. I think 
everyone but one went to a full count. So, or two went to a full count. And then that last at bat that he had his base hit went opposite way past kind of that shift that they had against him. And so, you know, he took what the defense and what the pitcher was giving him and he produced and got on base all five times. And that's all you can ask for, especially batting in front of O'Neill and Arenado. And O'Neill just looked locked in today. I mean, he looked as good today as he did during his peak run last second half of last year. And that first ball that he hit just smoked it up the middle, took that slider back up the middle. And then his home run just tried to get in on him. And that was a mistake. He just got, got that head out early and drove it into left field and for that home run and just took really solid at bats all day, you know, sack fly did what he needed to do. So. You wonder if that gave the front office a little momentum to try to get a job, an offer done. I mean, you know, they've been talking about him in extension. He's obviously going on pace right now to go to arbitration whenever that may be this year. Um, but, you know, if obviously, like I said, he kind of picked up what he went with last, last year. If he continues to hit like that, the price is only going to go up. Um, yeah. You know, with the, with an off day tomorrow, it would be a really good time for them to, to, to lock that extension down before he has a chance to go off and just, you know, cost him even more money. Yeah. My biggest worry about uh, an O'Neill extension is O'Neill's agent is everyone's favorite agent, Scott <laughs> Boris. And everyone knows how Scott Boris is. And so yeah. that's my biggest worry when it comes to an O'Neill extension. I, I want him to stay. I'd be willing to pay a, a lot of money to get him to stay, but it's, going to be that thing where is Boris going to have O'Neill sign an extension when he usually doesn't like his clients to sign extensions yeah. is kind of my biggest yeah. worry when it comes to yeah. Tyler O'Neill. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. I do wonder if it, if it makes a difference between, well, of course, you know, if Tyler O'Neill keeps doing this, then he is going to command a lot of money on the free agent market. So maybe you're, maybe you're right there. Um, at least he has seemed to be open to it and, you know, wanting to, to stay around, but I also feel like Tyler Neal is a guy that's, you know, fairly confident no matter what happens, you know, if he mm-hmm. has to go to free agency in a couple of years, that's fine. You know, if he gets a chance to sign an extension, that's great. He's one of the rare players you've heard of that is fine to negotiate during the season, right? Most of these guys say, oh, we're cutting it off at spring training because we don't want to be distracted. And he's like, you know, my agent can take care of most of that. I don't mind to do that. And you know, the, the way O'Neill carries himself, I just don't know that anything faces him. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. He just seems like the type of person where he's going to be happy with whatever the decision is, whether it's going to be continuing extension talks, whether it be wait for free agency, whether it be wait until the off season to talk extension. I think he's just going to kind of do what he wants to do and put his head down and play the game of baseball that he loves. And that's what I admire the most about Tyler O'Neill. Let's talk about the pitching side of things. And again, just about as good, as much fun to talk about as the offense was. Adam Wainwright continues to be Adam Wainwright, especially against Pittsburgh. What's 32, I think it's 32 scoreless innings against them now. Yeah, something um, like that. Uh, he's got more wins against them than any other active pitcher. Um, you know, man, just dominates. In fact, five hits against the Pirates is a little high. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was been pitching uh, against them. But, you know, again, factor in who they're playing, but you know, that 
I, there's always that concern with a guy at his age that maybe it's not going to translate again at somewhere. He's going to lose it right now. It looks like the Adam Wainwright we've seen over the last two years. And that's a good sign for this team. Yeah. I thought that today he looked really sharp. I mean, I thought his curveball looked sharp right away at the beginning. It didn't take him a couple innings to get that sharpness of his breaking pitches. I think just right away in that first inning, his curveball looked very good. And I don't know if, wind had anything to do to help with that i doubt it i just think adam wainwright's just still really good at pitching and uh (laughs) he just looked very good today i mean i think if you ask him i think as you were saying with the five hits i think a lot of them were with two strikes and i think he would like to try to put hitters away a little better with two strikes if there's one complaint i have to have against adam wainwright today is that with two strikes to do a little bit better on, you know, preventing hits in that way. But I mean, there's nothing that you can say about Adam Wainwright that hasn't been said before. He's kind of defying father time and continues to just look as impressive as he did last year. Yeah. I mean, he didn't give up anything that was hit with any authority. Yeah. You know, at least one of those was a, a park, but that will excuse me swing on one yeah. hit against the shift and it's rolled. I mean, it, rolled up the third base line, but it would have could have been, if they'd been in normal positioning would have had him out there. Um, you know, the, the pirates didn't get an extra base hit to, today at all. Nope. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, if you're going to have a season that's based on nostalgia, at least get play all the old hits. And that's what Wainwright seems to be doing. He's yes. just, he's going to be that, you know, staff ace is what it seems like. And, you know, if he does that, you know, there is that argument. Well, will he come back next year? I think, you know, for me, it's always been, I think Wainwright just decides he has other things to do. It's not necessarily that he can't keep playing, but he wants to get into his charity work more. He wants to get into doing other things. And, you know, that pool of walking off with Molina and and pools is going to be a a big deal too, I think. But yeah, um, I I can still think he, he does retire at the end of the season, but you know, if he puts up another Cy Young consideration type of season, it's going to be hard for, you know, the team may argue that he doesn't need to just yet. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I think the, just like you said, the riding off into the sunset with Yachty and Albert is going to have a lot to do with it. And I think, especially if this team happens to win the world series, I think he's definitely gone. If that's oh, yeah, the case, yeah. like it, there's no way you don't ride out into the sunset with a world series title with your two best friends, people you played with for how long in the game, all retiring at the same time. Like, I think that's the one thing that you like put it down right now. If the Cardinals win the world series, Adam Wainwright's going to retire. Those two things kind of are correlated at this point, but otherwise I I agree 100% with you. It's, it's going to be a lot of the pull from Yachty and Albert retiring at the same time. But if he continues to pitch like he has been pitching last year and today, it's, going to be very tempting for him to come back and continue until he no longer thinks that he can do it. And I know that it's going to be hard for Adam to come back. If he does have a poor season, that also might have something to do with it as well. If he feels like he has a good season this season and doesn't know if, you know, next year he can replicate it, then that also could be a consideration for him to retire as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He may not want to, to worry about going out on a bad, on a, on a sour note. So, 
Um, and you know, we'll see how this, the rest of the season goes, but, uh, it's a good, a good first step. And then we get to see, you know, one of the new guys in Nick Whitgren, we see Hennessy Cabrera and then we see Ryan Helsley, uh, each take an inning, each effective in their own way. But, you know, Cabrera was a little bit concerning read afterwards that it seemed to be the cold affecting his grip. But given the control issues that Cabrera's had last year, seeing him walk two batters in this, um, it just it brought back some bad memories from last season. Yeah, it was a little concerning. Uh, hopeful that you know what he's saying is true with the cold affecting his grip, and just the fact that he's able to dial back a little bit and you know find that control when he needed to to keep the game scoreless, get that get those runners out, get those strikeouts. And his curveball still looked sharp and effective. So it's just kind of finding that command and figuring out, you know, when you don't have the grip to know that maybe you need to dial it back, focus on your command a little bit more and your control compared to velocity and getting the ball up there. So I think that it it is a little alarming, especially, you know, it's not going to get all of a sudden 80 degrees overnight. I mean, it is the Midwest, so it's possible that it will be 80 degrees overnight. That is the way things go, I guess. It's not going to stay 80 degrees overnight, (laughs) but it's going to be something that he needs to, you know, continue to work at and find different ways to uh, control the ball a little better in that way. But I think he did a good job of bearing down and, you know, he got that first kind of unnerving situation under his belt. He has that total take away from and learn from. So I think that while it was concerning at first, it also is positive that he figured out how to get out of it himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did get the, the, the Mike Maddox visit, the first claw of the year. <laughs> uh, um, so that seemed to help some, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it could have easily blown up completely on him and it, and it didn't, I mean, if nothing preserved the shutout, you know, he did strike out a couple of batters in that inning. So it's it's just a little bit. It's just one of those things to watch. I mean, and it, it, yeah. you don't draw a lot of from it, but it's given given past history. You'd rather you rather have not seen that, but that's the way it goes. Uh, Whitgren making his cardinal debut, um, one hit. That's about all he gives up. I don't know that there was anything terribly impressive. What what did you think about seeing him? Uh, I thought he looked pretty sharp. I, I like the slider movement. I think it can be effective pitch. Um, I think he's going to be a good depth piece for the Cardinals. Uh, I liked the signing when they signed him. I thought he did good work in Cleveland the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, that first hit, you know, unfortunate hit, you know, it happens. But he comes back, gets the fly out to second base, and then gets Tucker to ground into the double play. And, I mean, it was a little hard hit, but... You know, when you have a good defense behind you, if you're not going to walk people, continue to nibble the corners and throw it to where your defense can do the work. And that's all we really need out of our pitchers is somebody's going to come in and throw strikes. You know, runs are going to happen throughout the season. But as long as that slider continues to be sharp and he's able to control his pitches, get ground balls, he's going to be fine in our bullpen. Yeah, I, I think so. Um you know, again, we're still trying to, you know, feel some of these guys out, but um, nothing that he did seemed to be too distressing. So, you know, it's not a guy that you're going to see in the seventh, eighth, or ninth, probably, or well, no. eighth or ninth. You know, big, big situations, but a guy that needs to hold a, a lead from a starter to the, you know, the end of the bullpen. You know, 
right now that looks okay. I mean, low leverage kind of guy. I mean, you got to have those kind of people in your bullpen. Um, and, and maybe who knows, maybe he'll be a guy that, you know, if Helsley's pitched two days in a row can take some, take that spot on the third day if necessary. I, I don't know if he'll get there or not, but you know, early returns, not too bad. I agree. hundred percent. So let's talk about Ryan Helsley. Um, if if it was cold in St. Louis, it wasn't after Ryan Helsley got done because <laughs> he was bringing the heat today. Uh, 100, 101, 99. I mean, I knew that Helsley had an arm on him, but I didn't. I don't think I knew that he was quite going to be touching those numbers. No, me either. I saw that and I was genuinely shocked that he hit one-on-one on one of his pitches. I was like, okay, I did not know. Like, I knew he could throw, you know, 97, 98. Like, I knew he threw hard, but I didn't think he threw 101 hard. And I don't know if that was just, you know, I'm pitching in the ninth inning of a home opener on opening day, or if that is something that's going to be able to be sustainable throughout the entire year. But, I mean, Ryan Helsley Helsley looked amazing today. I think the fastball velocity looked amazing. Uh, His off-speed pitches were definitely moving. He had one nasty little curveball slider that, just kind of fell off the table, looked very nasty. If he can combine that 80 mile an hour pitch with a 101 fastball, I mean, good night, no chance. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely, you know, longtime listeners of the show know that Alan is a big Helsley fan coming from Oklahoma as well. And um, there's nothing that we saw today that has, you know, will damper that at all. Um, very excited about having him in the back of that, um, that bullpen because I think the back of the bullpen seems really strong, right? I mean, if Cabrera's got his, his uh, control issues worked out, if he can do that, you've got a guy like Helsley, you've got Cody Whitley, you've got Giovanni Gallegos. Um, You know, that feels like, you know, if you get solid guys like Whitgren and then, you know, Verhagen and Woodford are the, you know, the kind of the carry from the, you know, middle innings kind of guys, it feels to me like that's not, that's a pretty strong group that hopefully will lock down a lot of wins. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's going to be important to not, you know, work Gallegos and Cabrera mm-hmm. as much as they got worked last year. And so having the Whitgrens and the Cody Whitleys and Helsley and, you know, even Verhagen and Woodford, if they're pitching well to pitch, you know, multiple innings to take that heat off of it. You got Aaron Brooks down there as well. Polante, those guys are going to need to, you know, eat up as many innings as they can because we don't want it to be like last year where guys like Alex Reyes are getting kind of hit because they're just getting overworked and overused. So having those guys who are going to be able to spell Cabrera and Gallegos is going to be super important. And I think that this bullpen as of now has those guys to do it. It was interesting to see them. You know, I kind of thought we would see Aaron Brooks today. Um, just given the spring that he had um, could have been an interesting thing to see. Um, uh, you know, to see, Guy goes or Paulante to give him a chance to, you know, make the you know be part of that opening day experience and give the rookie that kind of experience. Um, so yeah, I, I I was a little bit surprised at who they used, but I think on the whole you weren't going to use more than three guys anyway, just the way Adam Wainwright yeah. was going. 
Um, and so somebody wasn't going to be pitching on opening day. And, you know, there's plenty of fresh arms in for, for the rest of the weekend. Because it, I figure the crowds are going to be pretty, cra- pretty great this oh, weekend yeah. as well. So um, it may not be like pitching on opening day, but I got to figure they're going to get Palente out there pretty soon just to get the rookie nerves out. Yeah, and I think part of the issue on why, you know, kind of guys like Aaron Brooks and Palante didn't make their appearances today is that the big breakout, you know, kind of open the game up didn't happen until the bottom of the eighth inning anyway. And more than likely, Helsley was already up. So if you got him up, you might as well put him in the game. I think that's what the issue was. It was only, you know, five nothing at the time or four nothing still. So it didn't quite get to the point where, you know, it was still kind of close. So you didn't want to yeah. throw guys in and kind of give the game away late. I think that's the main reason why we saw the guys who we saw tonight, but definitely I think hopefully this weekend we get a game where we can get, you know, Brooks in, get Verhagen in, get Palante and get their first appearances with the Cardinals in and kind of see what we have and go from there. Cause especially since, you know, two of those guys are going to have to go when, the end of April, you want to see who you have and then be able to make that decision throughout the month to figure out who's going to go when rosters go back down to 26. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting decision for the Cardinals. Um, you know, you figure Palente just because of being a rookie and having options and all that kind of stuff could easily be one of those, but I don't, I don't know who just stands out as the other one. Um, you know, I mean, there's a few people with options, but a lot of these guys either don't have options or are guys that seem to be kind of locked in. Now, maybe it's a, you know, maybe Woodford goes down and works on becoming, you know, you know, stretching out even more for being a starter and being that, you know, depth at that regard. But, um, you know, I know it's a, a few weeks left, but is there anybody besides that that makes sense for you to for to be sent down? I mean, for me, it's, it's going to be, Palante more than likely, and then whichever isn't contributing between Woodford, Verhagen, and uh, Brooks more than likely. I mean, you have some of those guys who don't have options, but if we don't need two long relievers, you know, you kind of only need one. And so unless one of those people are going to start becoming a one-inning relief guy, it just doesn't make sense to have all of them on the roster. So that's where I'm kind of leaning. It could change, you know, it's a, somebody could get hurt and that makes the decision even easier. You know, you, right. we do have three weeks until that has to happen. And, you know, somebody might impress so much that they need to stay on the roster and somebody else gets the boot that way. And so that's going to kind of be how that process goes, I think. Well, and it kind of leads to the maybe the last point we'll talk about. It's not about today's game, but came out this week that Jordan Hicks is going to be the fifth starter, um, which pretty much came out of nowhere, I think, yeah. for, for, at least for me. Um, it does, one, for me, it shows that the front office and the manager are being more creative than we've seen in the past. But two, that that really means that you know those long relievers are going to be used at least every fifth day because he's only going, especially what the first time, two innings or something like that, and yeah, I think you know, even by the innings. end of the month, it's what you might see him at close to four, maybe, but that's probably even pushing it. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think that's where, you know, you take advantage of the fact that you have the 28 man roster here at the beginning. Uh, but I was very surprised to see Jordan Hicks as the best starter. Um, I think it is a good way to control his innings because you will only have him once every five days. And you, mm-hmm. especially to be able to build up his arm throughout his starts, you know, starting with two, maybe going up to three, then four, then five, and then seeing where he can go from there is a, an easy way for you to control that arm, especially since he hasn't pitched very much in the last two years. But that's also the flip side of being a starter. As you know, you expect your starters to throw 130 at the least innings. And so it's, do you want a guy who hasn't thrown in uh, very few innings in the last two years to be a guy who throws, you know, 110 to 130 innings Mm-hmm. after having the arm issues that he had in the past. It's kind of that double-edged sword where it's good to be able to control his innings, but at the same time, you also are building him up to throw even more innings. So I like the move. I think that, you know, with the fact that we have Brooks, Verhag, and Woodford in the bullpen, they will be able to spell uh, Hicks towards the beginning of the season. So I think that... It's a good move. I think that he'll be dynamic as a starter. You know, I know they're not calling him an opener, but he his first couple starts, he's essentially going to be an opener since he's not going to be throwing that many innings. So I think that it's kind of a good move by Ollie to show he's he's going to try to do something new, something that we haven't really seen before. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I talked about this last year in September with Jack Flaherty with the idea that, you know, you want him to not be rehabbing at the minor league level. You want him basically rehab at the major league level, you know, let him pitch two innings and the next time out, let him pitch three innings and, and such like that. Um, so it, it is interesting to see them do this. Um, I think between this and the lineup, it really shows that, you know, we wondered, I think to some degree, how different things were going to be under Ollie Marmol than they were under Mike Schilt. And we're seeing at least, you know, at some of this approach, it's fairly significant so far. Yeah. And, you know, you always get the, oh, this guy's more analytically driven. This guy's more analytically driven. And then you see Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. But I think just, you know, we are only one game into the season, but you're seeing the approach of Ollie be a lot more, not necessarily analytically driven, but something new, something fresh that, you don't see every day and you don't see every team doing. And I think that thinking outside the box is something that a modern day manager has to do. And so, you know, it might not work and he will be the first person to take the blame if it doesn't, but at least he's trying something that is going to be out of the box. And if it works, it has a chance to be great for the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm very interested to see how this all, and what else, what other news, little wrinkles we may see. Um, it was very interesting. Um, as you watch the guy at the coaching staff get announced that there's a run prevention or run production coach and uh, pitching coordinator, or I don't know exactly the terminology. And I know we knew about these guys, but just still to, to hear them announced at the same time you're hearing batting coaches and pitching coaches really kind of shows you where the game is going, right? I mean, it's very... Uh, very much you know figuring it out off the field so you can take it to the field yes yeah it was weird to hear all of the different coaches get announced and be like (laughs) oh i didn't know we had a run production coach and a run prevention coach and 
it just was a little surprising to hear, but it's good to hear that, you know, we have someone dedicated to figuring out ways for players to be able to succeed as well as they can with their skill set. Well, after today, that run production coach is doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> Give him a raise. That's right. <laughs> you got to <laughs> like that. You know, they can score nine runs every day. I, I like their chances uh, quite a bit. So, um, yeah, it, you know, overall, again, I like, I'm glad the baseball's back. Um, it, I'm glad that the Cardinals started out on a positive note. Um, I'm glad that, you know, we had three home runs today. Um, you had Paul Goldschmidt getting a stolen base before he got his first hit. Um, I don't think anybody would have put that down as a, as a bet. Um, nope. You know, you had, it was the, the kind of the craziest thing I, I thought, you know, Tommy Edmund hits a home run in the rain. Paul uh, Nolan Arenado hits one, you know, five batters later in like bright sunshine. Yep. Um, that's there's your Midwest for you right there. Um, all in all, it was just a, it was a fun day and you can't, you, you know, can't argue with that to, as a start to the 2022 season. Yeah. And I think we're in store for a fun season, whether that be, you know, I, I think it'll be a very successful season, but we'll also see, you know, Ali Marmol doing different things at the lineup and we're going to see the last season of Yachty and Albert and all the nostalgia and all of the tribute videos from all the different teams. And I think that it's just going to be a super fun year. And I am very excited to go along on the ride. Yep. Yep. And the Cardinals, as we wrap this show up for now, first place in the NL central tied, tied with the Cubs and uh, waiting on that Cincinnati game later on. But uh, you know, Wire to wire is still possible. You can't, that true. <laughs> that's that's always fun to be able to say after the first day. On pace for 162. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Carter, thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, again, find him at Cardinals Chat 18. Uh, find the podcast, Cardinals Chat, wherever you find your fine, wherever fine podcasts are sold or given away i guess because we don't really sell these <laughs> things but uh anyway glad to have you and uh until next time for carter i'm daniel good night for every season since 1909 the cardinals have had at least one hall of famer in uniform today we are excited to welcome back three men that will no doubt add to that legacy and soon be joining our baseball hall of famers and cardinal hall of famers at home plate on opening day it seems like just yesterday he closed out the 2006 world series to start a remarkable run of success that has endured for the past 17 seasons today's starting pitcher a three-time all-star with over 114 postseason innings pitched adam wainwright Rookie of the Year, a 10-time All-Star, two gold gloves, three MVPs, 3,000 hits, and two world championships in St. Louis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to St. Louis in a Cardinals uniform where he belongs, Albert Pujols. And finally, 
When the relationship between a championship player and the team that drafted him reaches its finale, it's a moment worth its weight in gold. In this case, platinum and silver too. Please welcome a fixture of the Cardinals since he took his first at bat in 2004. Nine gold gloves, four platinum gloves, 2,000 hits, 10 all-star games, four pennants, and two world championships. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest defensive catchers of all time, Yadier Molina.